0: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a special guest that we'll be talking to today, and she actually is a second timer on the Missing Link podcast, Dr. Kim Brett. Dr. Kim is a naturopathic doctor, and she was on the Missing Link podcast at an earlier episode talking about the different food groups and specific foods that affect our gut microbiome and what that means for MS symptoms. But today we have Dr. Kim back with us to talk to us about the brain-gut connection, and she's going to give us lots of strategies on how we can adjust the way that we feel by focusing on our brain-gut connection and not just by eliminating foods or trying different diets. Dr. Kim, welcome back to our podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to be back. This is fun. So today we're focusing more on the brain-gut connection because clearly there is A happy mix there of things that can go well or bad, and it does play a role in our bodies. And if you guys missed our first episode, Dr. Kim was talking to us about the different things that we need to digest for our gut and our microbiome to be happy and our bacteria to be happy. So if you missed that, go ahead and check that episode out. But before we dive into today's topic, I'd love to ask you another question from our interview deck to let our listeners know you a little bit better. Is that okay with you? Yes. I'm slightly nervous about this, but let's go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Your question is what or who has made the biggest impression on your life in the last year?
1: Do you know what? And I don't want to be stereotypical at all. I am going to say my mom, she had a huge health crisis that happened and was in the hospital for four months and it just felt pretty hopeless and helpless. And she is doing shockingly well at this point. And I have to say, seeing someone with a positive mental attitude on just the okay, I'm just going to do this. We're just going to take what's happening and I'm going to do what I can. And that has been amazing for me.
0: That's so great. And I'm glad she's doing well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy too.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to the brain gut connection at first glance, it sounds pretty obvious, you know, our gut and our brain talk to each other and therefore can produce a reaction if one's out of line. But can you explain what it actually is? Like, how does, how does it work? How do they talk to each other? And what does that even mean?
1: Yeah. So it does. It seems like it's kind of an easy thing a lot of the time because it is this two-way communication between the brain and our gut. So it goes back and forth and that connection can control our motility, interpretation of pain and our symptoms, that butterflies in your stomach sort of thing that can happen to people, bloating. It really can... it really controls a lot of the things that are going on. But when we think about it, we have our brain and we have our central nervous system. And then we have a separate nervous system called the enteric nervous system, which is basically just a separate nervous system for our gut. There's no other system in our body that has its own dedicated nervous system. But when we were in our mom's tummies, when we were developing embryologically, they were attached to each other. So everything was fully attached. And then before we were born, the enteric nervous system separates apart. But because they developed together, they are affected by the same neural stimuli and they are affected or can change with the same neural modulators that can affect your brain. So sometimes we'll talk about people who have gut disorders will have more of a likelihood towards mental health disorders like depression or anxiety. But what we actually see even more so is that we can have these gastrointestinal symptom-based anxieties that go on. So you don't meet the criteria for actual anxiety, but the symptoms, we get anxiety around that happening. So we get this overreaction that's happening between the gut and the brain and this intense hypersensitivity that's going on that can really worsen what is happening. For patients or for the individuals who are experiencing this, it is like they are feeling everything all the time in their gut. Wow. So that sounds awful. (laughs) Yeah. And the way that I think about it is right now I'm wearing glasses and I'm noticing them because I'm talking about them and I can see the lenses around my face. But when I put my glasses on, I feel my glasses. I feel them on my nose. I feel them on my ears. And then I will often get halfway through the day and I'm like, oh, I need to find my glasses. I'm going back to work. And then I realize that they're on my face because I don't go through the day thinking I'm wearing glasses. Oh, wearing glasses. Oh, I feel my glasses. Same way I'm wearing pants right now, but I don't spend my day thinking about the fact that there's material on my legs because we have the ability to turn off sensing things all the time. When we're looking at these disorders of gut-brain interaction, which includes functional dyspepsia, bloating and gas, IBS, constipation, we are seeing that most individuals are feeling things that they are not supposed to feel. And that includes feeling bloating. So we don't see necessarily that those individuals produce more gas Than individuals who don't have these conditions, but they are sensing it more, or they're sensing the movement through the digestive tract, or even people who have constipation, those tiny little rabbit stools that come out while they're in there, they can be rubbing along the inside of the digestive tract and actually heighten the sensitivity that's going on. So, in part, we're seeing that. It's not just that there's symptoms that are happening. It's that the brain is going crazy and it is saying that something catastrophic is happening. So it's really difficult because we can't, as just average people, differentiate the difference between I feel pain. Therefore, I believe I have something that is really wrong with me versus a fire alarm going off in your brain. But the fire alarm is misfiring at that point. And that's what's happening a lot of the time in these conditions. And it really makes this extremely difficult.
0: Yeah. So is there a trigger that turns it on? Or is it always on, or is every
1: person different? Yeah, so every person's different, but when we look at what can start this happening, so one of the biggest examples that we used is, and certainly it can actually be childhood trauma. It could be an intense and emotional reaction. It could be long-term day-to-day stress, but we look at the idea of what we call post-infectious IBS. So individuals who had food poisoning or traveler's diarrhea or picked up gastroenteritis for some reason, and their entire gut bacteria goes out of balance. And when that happens, we can get this visceral hypersensitivity. So that our our viscera, our internal organs start to react more strongly, but we get rid of the infection. So that's where we think that kind of like the infection originally was like a fire that turned the fire alarm on in your brain, but then the fire goes away and the alarm keeps going off, but the alarm isn't always consistent. So we can see that sometimes the alarm may be stronger And then it may feel like it's easing a little bit, but that makes it really difficult because a lot of the time, when you think that there's a fire going off in your gut, You want to do something to make it stop. And so there's this hyper alertness and focus on our symptoms all the time, which tends to exacerbate the fire alarm. And we also want to do things to make it go away. So part of it is we spend a lot of time Googling or going on TikTok or figuring out What can I make it go away? And because it feels so dangerous, even if it's not dangerous, we're willing to do almost anything. So we see people taking bucket loads of supplements and doing a lot of testing, but also thinking, okay, I did everything perfectly. My symptoms came back. What did I do wrong with my food? And then we start taking more and more foods out in the hope that it's going to make us feel better which logically makes sense because often at the beginning, taking away some foods did make us feel better, but they're not actually the long-term solution and can make things worse.
0: My mind is bursting with further (laughs) questions right now. I'm not sure which one to ask next. So you already mentioned a few of the symptoms, you know, might be bloating, constipation, or maybe diarrhea. Are Mm -hmm. there, can this also manifest as fatigue or even more physically? Like, your walking is more unstable. Does it ever manifest in that way? Or is it usually just how you feel in your stomach?
1: No, so we do see with this, within the disorders of gut-brain interaction that we definitely will see more fatigue, more brain fog is likely, like more of those outside of the gut symptoms can happen more. Certainly as well, any other condition that is exacerbated by stressors, A lot of times people will tell me that, you know what, I'm not stressed though. Like before I had a major stress that was going on, but I am not stressed right now. It's just my day-to-day, busy work life, have kids, taking care of parents, like that sort of life going on, which is busy, but it's not the worst case scenario. But then we'll talk about the idea of, but is it distressing? And I'll use food as the example to not be able to eat these foods to have to read every single label that you're having, to feel like you can't eat in the morning because you're afraid of something going wrong at work, Or that you don't want to give the list of your food intolerances or perceived intolerances to your mother-in-law because now she's going to look at this and judge you and you don't want to have people judging you. Or you don't want to go to your book club because you know they're going to serve food and you either are going to feel like the person who's the Debbie Downer and you're not eating something or you eat it and then you're terrified that you're going to be in the washroom all night or having to hold in your flatulence. Those things in of themselves are hugely stressful. So we can see this really commonly.
0: So when it comes to treatment of this, do you focus, should you focus more on the mental aspect, like reducing the stressors via meditation and calming yourselves and maybe in some cases, taking the stressors fully away, as you mentioned, like just not giving someone that list? Yeah. Or is it more focused on the gut? You know, how? where do you even
1: begin to help this person? I know. And it really depends on the person in front of me. So especially if it's something that this is newly, this is just fairly new that these symptoms are starting. We're probably not going to go down this huge rabbit hole. We can probably go through some of our normal pathways around gut health and stuff like that. But when we see that this gut connection is really causing a huge problem that's going on, and again, it might be me that is, is looking at it as a problem, and some people may be still fighting with me and saying that I don't think it is, although the literature is really heavy around this right now. Looking at this gut-brain interaction is something that I tend to approach early on. And it's quite interesting because, yeah, it's great if we can take out the external stressors, but a lot of what we're doing is very gut-focused right now. So we have gut-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. So it is used to try and decrease some of the behaviors that could actually be exacerbating this. Or we have gut-directed hypnotherapy, which when I heard about this... This kind of made me feel like, is this a real thing? But it actually seems to help rewire that connection between the gut and the brain to calm down that over-responsiveness, that oversensitivity that we're seeing. Mindfulness-based practices, again, very specific around the gut. Even last week, I think there was a paper that came out that was looking at dyspepsia and using virtual reality technology to calm down some of the hypersensitivity or using deep breathing or biofeedback to help with some of the inappropriate musculature reaction that is happening that's allowing for bloating and gas to happen because we often think with bloating and gas that we're producing more gas when it turns out we're often not we're often perceiving it more but we also see that individuals are contracting or relaxing their diaphragm and abdominal muscles incorrectly that can allow for that protrusion to happen within distension. So we can see that using these techniques can actually help with lowering all of these symptoms by helping through the gut-brain connection.
0: Wow. That's really cool. You know, And I've heard of some of those things before, like the mindfulness-based stress reduction, but not specifically for the gut. I know so nice. it's
1: amazing. And I think one of the things, if I could say, a lot of the time, the way that this sort of thing is explained to patients, if anything is explained at all, which is super frustrating, is that we did all this testing, we can't find anything wrong with you. Gut brain, you have anxiety. And then the message we get is that it's in our head. And the reality is, is that is not what is happening at all. There are absolutely physical changes that come along with the gut-brain connection. But when we're treating this, if we are looking at a gut-brain interaction or a supplement or a medication or whatever, I'm not looking to treat anxiety when I'm treating a disorder of gut brain interaction. Sure, if we need to treat anxiety, we treat anxiety. But those are two separate things that we're looking at and trying to calm down. So when I'm making these recommendations, it is extremely specific to what is happening in the gut. And it's not just in someone's head that this is happening.
0: I am so glad that you said that because I have had patients who have gone to their neurologist or even Mm nutritionist. And that's pretty much what they were met with when they went through all this testing and they couldn't find anything. It was more of, okay, it's your anxiety or it's just, you know, the everyday stressors that you're going through. And what do you do with that? (laughs) You know, there's not much that you can do. And I will say too, I am someone who, when I am stressed, I never feel stressed, but my body tells me that I am stressed in other ways. Mm -hmm. So when I was in physical therapy school, suit, just super stressful, lots of studying and lots going on. My hair started thinning. If you had asked me if I felt stressed, I would have said, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm doing well. But yes. my hair was massively thinning. And then several years later, I started a new job and I had so many gut issues. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel stressed, but so many gut issues. And so for people, what would your advice be? For Because I know there's so many people and lots of my clients with MS too, where even though they've got a lot going on, they're managing MS, but mm-hmm. they feel fine. You know, yes. how can they tap into that?
1: Yeah, and I think it's something that, It is really hard. And because I think we also know that having a positive attitude and having that positive mental focus is something that's really important. If we just wallow in how we're feeling, that's not helpful either. And it even more so contributes to a pretty bad quality of life. But it's going to be something that I think when we're looking at this type of disorder, we are seeing that changes in the microbiota change our visceral hypersensitivity. They change this messaging between the gut and the brain. And it's not likely that there's no effect that's going on, even if you're not feeling it that you're perceiving that that's happening. So being open to that idea. It also is something that I'll often talk to individuals and say, you know, if you had a friend who was afraid of what they could eat at this meal and they were sad that they couldn't necessarily go to their kid's soccer game because there's no bathroom on the field and that's really scary for them, but they're still able to do most of the things in their lives, and they feel pretty good. Do you still think that those day-to-day stressors, because it turns out food is something that we eat multiple times a day to kind of stay alive. And so if we have to deal with that dilemma all the time, would you think that there would be some level of upset or sadness or stress or distress that comes from that occasionally? And usually they when we look at how other people might feel about it we could see that that even if they're handling it on a day-to-day basis that sure that takes up mental energy and space for me to deal with and that can lead to anxiety provoking scenarios when we can't be 100% in control all the time and micromanage everything so it may not be that everyone is experiencing this and it may not be that we need to have these conversations but for a lot of people it is, and I think it's really significant that when they had the name change to disorders of gut-brain interaction, that's not a naturopathic thing. That is where the entire gastroenterology field has gone at this point, point. and when we have a profession in the medical system that has said these conditions that 40% of the world globally experiences within our dyspepsia and constipation and IBS and all the things that fall into this category, and we're going to call them disorders of gut-brain interaction, that means a lot. And I think that we should be at least considering that it could be part of what is going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that for a lot of people listening, they'll find this hopeful because when you think about traditional treatments for gut issues, A lot of people have tried them all and nothing has helped. So almost viewing it in this different way can give some hope like, okay, maybe this is the reason there are other things I can try, especially if it's not medication based, as you were saying, more of the stress
1: reduction and Mm. hypnotherapy yeah. And it is. I mean, it's something that I feel when I decided that gut was my area, I work in this area. I mean, I have an unhealthy love of the microbiota and all things gut and it's ridiculous, but it's also something that for me, it feels like one of the most hopeful areas to be working in. When I graduated over 20 years ago, if I did a PubMed search, so a research term, search on the terms gut microbiota, I can find 13 studies that came out that year. We now have thousands of studies that come out on all of these topics every year right now. The research just keeps going and keeps expanding, and we get more and more information about what we're doing. It's just, again, we have to be cautious about the research because it is new. We do get some people who really want to extrapolate into things that we don't quite know yet or that could be harmful but overall it is one of the most hopeful areas that i think a person could be working in
0: yeah i can i sense that just from our conversation so far that's so exciting yeah my final question for you and again i could ask millions but i'm going <laughs> to hone it down to one uh, that you touched on a little bit but i just want you to expand so something that a lot of my clients who are having gut issues and you know potentially brain gut misconnection misfiring One thing that they struggle with is afraid of eating because, Mm -hmm. and you touched on this, you know, if something makes you feel bad, you're going to try to stay away from it. Or, you know, eating aside, if they're stressed, they feel like, okay, if I'm stressed, that means that I'm going to have my symptoms. Is it always that way? Or, you know, what happens if someone isn't stressed,
1: but they have this symptom, uh, any thoughts? Right. Yeah. And it is something that I think we want symptoms in our body to be very transactional. Something majorly stressful happened, and then I have symptoms. And that can happen sometimes. The same thing when I am very, very, very stressed, I feel nauseated. And it's something that it becomes really difficult for me to eat in those scenarios. And that is a trigger that something really catastrophically horrible is going on in my life. But that doesn't mean that it has to be something that is catastrophically stressful going on for us to feel symptoms. So it's not transactional. It can be that you feel stressed and you have gut symptoms and you can not be stressed and not have gut symptoms. But it also can be that you have stress and you're not feeling something at that exact moment. And the opposite can be true as well. But the problem is, is that because that can all be true, but we want it to be transactional, we can often then use it as proof to say, well this caused me stress and I didn't have the symptoms. So obviously stress is not the thing. And it just, it's not as simple as that, which is super frustrating, but unfortunately as humans, we are super fallible and have things that don't always work in a linear fashion the way that we want them to, but it doesn't make the gut brain interaction less important. And it doesn't mean that if we're not feeling something that it's still not a good idea for us to work on our stress management and techniques that can help just with calming in general. I think we live in a really fast paced, busy world that isn't always going to be beneficial for how humans like to live. Even when I think about things like we live around light all the time and we can stay up late at night and not sleep in normal patterns, or we've lost so much physical activity in our lives over time. And those things in of themselves are just stressful for us as human beings. So I think there's always room for us to work on this side of things. And I mean, even as a naturopath, I'm pretty awful at it. I practice deep breathing as much as I can, but I I have to have someone guide me. Really, if I try to do deep breathing myself, I'll do two deep breaths and then my mind will race off onto something else. And then 10 minutes later, I'll remember that I was supposed to be deep breathing. And then I'll get super frustrated with myself for not deep breathing and being a naturopath who's not good at deep breathing, which feels like it should be even worse in the world. So it's something that absolutely takes practice, but is something that I think can really help with health. Over the long-term, it's definitely not going to be a short-term fix though.
0: Yes. I can totally relate to that, you know, feeling like, oh, I should be able to do this, but then your your mind keeps wandering. So I love that you pointed out it is a practice, you know, start Mm -hmm. somewhere and then, you know, just stay consistent. And over time, it it will become more of a habit. Absolutely. this has been so insightful. Where can people find more information from you? And if they are looking to get help in this area and see if they can find someone who understands the brain-gut connection and they're they're on board, where do they go? What should they do next?
1: Yeah. So I would be focusing on making sure first that you're diagnosed. If your naturopath or your dietitian isn't able to do that, you would probably want to check that out. But then working with your dietitian or naturopath who is gut focused. I also think asking specific questions about how comfortable are they with the gut brain axis. If you're thinking that, okay, she just made sense. I should probably be thinking about this because this is really newer within the options and ideas that we can be working with. So I think that's something that asking questions about, are you going to keep making me eliminate food? Like, what is this going to look like? Having those good questions are going to help you find someone that is really educated to work with.
0: I love that you pointed that out because so often that food elimination is the very first thing. And as we've talked about before, like it just goes on for so long and not adding it back in. So I think it is important to ask those questions of the people that you might be working with.
1: Yes. Yeah. They should be able to explain how they're going to do it as the most important thing. It's not that elimination is not going to happen in many cases, but it really is something that we want to make sure that we're, we're not just going down a crazy pathway.
0: Yeah. And can you share where people can find you, uh, you know, your Instagram handle, your website?
1: Yeah, so drkimbretts.com is my website and Dr. ND. Actually, I think my website had an ND in there as well. But those are going to be where you can find me on Instagram or my webpage. And occasionally I might get onto TikTok because I know that apparently the younger generation are using TikTok more to find information than Google right now. So I feel like that is enough that I need to get myself on there in some way. Yes, I am still new to TikTok, but it's, it's, it's horrifying to, to me. But. Oh my <laughs>
0: gosh, you can spend so much time on there, and there's so many various types of information.
1: Yes, so absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, and I will put your Instagram and your website and even your TikTok in the sure. show notes. So if people do want to find you, you guys can look there. Thank you again so much for explaining the brain gut interaction in a way where it's Easily understood. I think that understanding it is that first step, and then taking action is the next. You even gave us options for that. So, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me again. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes, along with links to my social media handles.